Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Well, hey, church. As you know, Father's Day is, is fast approaching and uh, I have the privilege of, of chatting to some awesome dads today, which is which is pretty cool. So we've got here Ryan Baxter, uh, John Evans and Andrew Danby. So how you going, lads? Good. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, it's coming up. I don't know about you guys. I'm personally quite excited about getting this year's stock of, of jocks and, uh, <laughs> and socks. It seems to be the, the go, but... Um, you guys looking forward to any presents in particular? I actually just went and bought my own present. Because oh. <laughs> I can't get into any shops or anything. I can still go everywhere because I'm an essential worker. So, Me too, Ryan. Uh, good old little Nathaniel bought me a uh, AEG impact driver and drill set. Oh, nice. So, nice. Yeah. You know. Good. Yeah, I just got a little table saw. <laughs> About yourself, John, any any power tools? <laughs> no, I've pretty much got all the power tools I need for the moment. I think uh, I think we're getting. I think I might be getting a sneak preview to something for the barbecue. So uh, you can never have too many power tools. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but if I have the power yeah. tools, then I feel guilty if I don't use it. So better off that you don't have as many. That's I don't fun. have that philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to take some notes about because they sound like upgrades from socks. So I'm just going to write here <laughs> our tools. <laughs> I'll let Katie know, mate. Don't worry. Thank you. Actually, that'd be much appreciated, mate. Or Tora, um, also. I'll look both. Both. They'll both play the part in in, in the, the process, I think. So now we'll look tonight. Um, look, it was the reason to obviously get together. As we said, Father's Day is coming up. And, and um, I guess for each of us, you know, fatherhood, means different things, looks looks different and um, has had a bunch of different journeys, obviously, as well. So I know for me personally, I really like hearing different people's stories and, and find it quite encouraging. Um, I've got two young girls, one's two and one's five, so fairly early in the, the fatherhood journey. So it's always encouraging to hear um, other people's unique stories um, and the like. So down that vein, why don't we just kick off? We'll go around each person and just, just tell us how long you, you've been a dad and how many kids you have as well. So why don't we start with you, Andrew? No worries, Simon. So uh, yeah, this is my first Father's Day coming up and uh, uh, we've got little uh, baby Nathaniel and uh, he's just gone five months old last week. Uh, and so uh, he's the first, but uh, hopefully there may be some more in the pipeline at some stage. That's awesome. And yourself, John? I've got uh, three kids. I've been a father for 20, 22 well nearly 22 years i think jack's 22 in about two weeks three weeks so uh yeah that's uh quite a long journey when i look at it that time that way i bet it's gone fast though yeah in some ways it has and in other ways it hasn't <laughs> good answer good answer and how about yourself right i've been a father for five and a half years yeah so i got mikey who's five and a half and then harley who is two nearly three two that's great and awesome kids i think i'm obviously quite close with rice so get to, to see the boys pretty often they they are awesome kids so we might stick on yourself there rhino so like you said you've been a 
you've been a dad for a, a bit over five five years i think you're saying so you know like i said we've all got unique stories and i believe yours is um is quite unique so why don't you just give us a bit of a background of, of how the boys came into your life and and um yeah what that journey was like yeah so yeah a little bit um different to a lot of parents out there we um <clears throat> we shay and i tried to have kids for probably a year and a half and we weren't getting anywhere we went and saw some doctors and there were some issues there and stuff and and basically it was going to be pretty hard to conceive naturally so we had two options we go down the ivf path or we um adopt and so we just went straight into adoption um and um yeah so we got it was a bit of a process took all up between from probably from starting the adoption process to um, getting Mikey was probably two years, two and a half years, something like that. So a bit of a process, a lot of paperwork, a lot of interviews, a lot of stuff. Bureaucracy. (laughs) Bureaucracy. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so went through all that, got Mikey um, we got Mikey when he was three months old, three and a half, oh, sorry. It's probably four or five months old. Um, had him ever since. And then with adoption, you've got to wait. There's got to be a two-year age gap between the kids, so you can't go straight back on the list. You've got to sort of um, have a gap in between. So we had a gap, and then as soon as we could, we jumped back on the list and um, we got on the list a lot quicker the second time, but then had to wait um, almost, oh, probably about a year um, to get Harley. So, wow. yeah, two little adopted boys. That's an awesome, awesome little journey. It, does, does it make a difference um, having adopted one in, in terms of making the process easier to, to adopt a second or anything like um, that? Uh, it's a little bit easier, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit, not as much paperwork um, for the second time around. Um, and you kind of know what you're expecting. So with Mikey, you uh, we um, didn't really know what to expect. Um, and it, it, was, it all happened so quickly in the end. So you're waiting and waiting. They tell you not to do anything for, you know, don't prepare at all because it's not a list like, it's not a list where you, you're next in line. It's yeah. it, in Victoria, it works where the, relinquishing biological parents actually choose you from a pool of parents based on your profile. Mm. And um, so you can't, you kind of can't know when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen. So we went from, we got a phone call on a Thursday night, Thursday afternoon, I think it was. And then on the Monday we went and met Mikey and brought him home the following Thursday. So Hmm. Where a lot of people have sort of nine months, we had, yeah, a week. Barely know. nine days. Yeah. <laughs> so it was chaos, but it was fun. Hey, eh? it was it was gross. Yeah. That's amazing. I, it's hard not to think that 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 would bring about its challenges. You basically became a dad overnight. Are there any main challenges that that you can pinpoint, or, or moments where you might have been overwhelmed in those early days? Um, oh, gee, a lot of emotion. Um. All, all compacted into a short time um but it's so chaos you kind of don't have time to think too much because you, you know you got to get a bedroom ready for a kid you got to get car seats cots you know all those 
all the all the jazz and you know we we're really lucky we got lots of great family around us that helped us out a lot um but um yeah it, it, i mean there's struggles there's struggles too because um you know it's not like there's a, there's a little bit there was a little bit of unknown about what what's going to happen what are you going what sort of child you're going to get you know the trauma that comes along with it you know how you know how easily is he going to match into our family and stuff and with Mikey we were lucky he was very young I think it was four months four and a half months old when we got him whereas Harley was nearly one he was just we got him a month before he turned one so a lot older um so and had been with the same foster family the whole time so the transition from the foster family into our family um was a bit longer um and a bit more involved but I mean he's a big kid he 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 clung on to us pretty quickly for some reason (laughs) and now he's probably regretting his decision (laughs) I don't know about that I think it's um it's an amazing story and and I think they've they've both joined a a very loving household which is just pretty cool when you think about you know their future was probably not clear at one point and now that now they're in a loving home which is which is pretty exciting to hear so no, I appreciate you sharing that. And so how about yourself, John? You've got older kids on the other end of the, the scale, I suppose. Obviously, there's you've got two boys in, in uni, I believe, and then another a girl in high school. Is that correct? Yep. So yep. Well, I've got a bit of a gap, five-year gap between one being you know, Clayton and, and Tiana. So yep. that has provided some challenges because the boys are ready to move on to the next, but, you know, there was a period of time where, to be honest with you, I know more about the kids' movies than I know about any of the Marvel movies or anything like that, because it was the, let's go to the movies together. All right, you two boys go off and watch that. I'll go and watch Moana with, or Moema with uh, Tiana. So uh, there was a period of about five years where I, I couldn't tell you what it was, what, what movies are on apart from kids' movies. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it does provide some advantages having a bit of a gap because you weren't dealing with, I can't imagine what it'd be like having with three little kids that you're trying to deal with all at the same time. That must be a challenge sometimes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so so five year gap between the eldest and the youngest. And then I believe, is it right? The eldest and the second. Oh, eldest and the second. Okay, so you had the two boys. And the second and the, and the youngest, yeah. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And so you you obviously had kids, um, you know, the, the eldest is, is 22 now. Now, I believe you, you did some travel overseas with young children. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, in 2003, I uh, took a job in Jakarta working at an uh, Indonesian school there where my, my brief was to try and improve some pedagogy, improve some outcomes, working with a, in my department, which was physics and maths, fully Indonesian staff. So it was running an international curriculum and they were struggling to sort of mesh those two concepts, you know, the international curriculum with sort of their background, which was, uh, I guess the pedagogy for is a little bit uh, more of the sort of the learning pedagogy. So uh, it was it was a challenge. It was exciting. Uh, the kids came with us. I think Clayton was two. Uh, Jack was four. Um, we had Tiana whilst we were there, although Linnell did come back to Australia because the medical facilities in Jakarta, uh, d- despite it being a really big city, perhaps not as good as we could get here by any stretch of the imagination. So, mm. yeah, I guess the kids, to be honest with you, when they're sort of young, 
they just want to be with you. So I don't think, I was chatting to Jack the other day just by chance and I said, what do you remember about Jakarta? And he said, not a lot. Can't remember a lot. I can remember some memories, but I don't really have a lot of memories. So I think we took out of that, that when the kids are young, it doesn't really matter where you are. They just want to be you, with you as a family. Now that changes a little bit as they get older and uh, all of a sudden you're dealing with as a, as a father and as a mother and as a, as a, a couple, the fact that your kids that have needed you all that time and just wanted to be with you all of a sudden perhaps not so important to be with or they are choosing other people and that's hard it's i think it's particularly hard um first time it happens perhaps when you've been the sole provider the sole um carer for someone and all of a sudden they start seemingly choose others but that's natural and that happens and you've got to get ready for it because it's going to happen to everyone and it's and it's healthy and uh, yeah, that's where it becomes really important to be connected to something like a youth group where there's older role models that aren't your parents. Mm. It's important for them to, to be able to look at an older role model. And if, if they're not choosing people in the youth group or uh, other young adults that are at the church, they might be choosing other people to, to sort of model some of their ideas on. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've been obviously very grateful with uh, the church and the fact that there's been some really, really key uh instrumental leaders in in the lives of all of our kids and they've had a really big impact and we're extremely grateful and and um yeah appreciative that that that, that facility occurs and yeah yeah that's awesome you touched on a lot of really really interesting stuff there i think one that sort of jumped out of that theme of you know it takes a village to raise a child that that kind of concept i think you know having two daughters i often wonder down that vein of, you know, I can teach them to a certain point. And while they're young, I'm, I'm probably that, that main teacher, you know, between Katie and myself. And, but it obviously reached that point where, where others are going to have a bigger influence. And I always, you know, it's out of your control and it does go through my mind sometimes. And, and it's a scary thought to go, gee, you hope you can, you can get it all right. And, um, and, and sort of send them on their way with the, the best skills that they can have. Um, Linnell's got a really good analogy, and I, and I quote Linnell here. I know it's Father's Day, but but uh, Linnell talks about as a parent being packing your child's suitcase, and you pack this suitcase, and you pack it, and you fold it, and you put it in perfectly, exactly the way you think it should be there. And there's going to come a time in that 14, 15, 16, where maybe 18 depends on the child, where they're just going to upend that whole suitcase. And uh, everything's going to end up on the ground and you're going to be tearing your hair out. That's why maybe Brian and I look like we do. We've got older kids, something to look forward to there, guys. But, um, you know, you're sort of wondering, what did I do something wrong? What did I do wrong? But actually, it's natural for them. They need to own, they need to own it themselves. And the analogy has the suitcase being repacked with a lot of the stuff that you've packed and all of your work has not gone to waste. All of your work hasn't been you know all for nothing they're yeah. packing but it may not be in the order that you put it in and it might be packed differently and then maybe even some stuff missing some other stuff there that's natural and uh, it's really hard that's probably the hardest thing as a parent of older kids is dealing with that aspect where you seemingly lose control and and it's tough and i don't think we've necessarily done it perfectly but yeah. it's something that you're going to encounter when you have an older child 
Mm. And as they become independent, as I said, it's natural. We want it to occur. That's what God meant it to be. But it doesn't make it any easier when you're going through it sometimes. Yeah, no doubt. I think that's a really good analogy and I like the wisdom in it for sure. It's um, no, it's a great thought. So moving on to yourself, Andrew. So you're obviously the the newest, I guess, dad in this group. Um, you know, you're saying sort of five five months, wasn't it? Five months. Yeah, you got your, your gorgeous son there. So, and again, you've got a, a, a very unique story of your own. So why don't you just, just tell us a little bit about about that process and the journey that yourself and Mel have, have kind of gone on to, to have Nathaniel in, in, in your arms now. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I'm a bit of a late bloomer, so I'm actually turning 46 next week. Um, and uh, Melissa and I, we got married in 2017 and around about a year later, she came to me and said that she, um, she wanted to try and have a child. And, and to be honest, my heart sank because I knew uh, that that process wasn't going to be an easy road. And to really explain that uh, reaction, I need to take you back to 1985 and uh, when I was nine years of age. And uh, how old were you, Simon, in 1985? Do you? 1985, I'd actually be in negative years. Of You're negative, time. right. Okay. So uh, negative three, you've, got, you've got plenty of good years ahead of you, mate. So, uh, and I've got a fair few years on you as well. But um, yeah, I was nine years of age and um, for some time I'd been feeling significantly ill. Uh, and uh, in a lot of pain. And my parents had taken me to, uh, to multiple doctors uh, to see uh, what was actually wrong with me. And uh, one day I got up on a Saturday, uh, I was going to, uh, to the footy clinic uh, to kick some footy around and so forth. And um, I wasn't feeling great, but I got up and I put my Guernsey on and I went to the footy um, ground and, and we were doing our thing. And I became quite sick. And so I went up to the coach and I said to the coach, look, mate, my stomach's really sore. Um, and I showed him my stomach and uh, he called my mum and said, you better come down and pick him up. Something's wrong with, with Andrew. And so uh, my mum came down and she rang the doctor and said that, uh, you know, my stomach was quite inflamed. Um, and some time had, had passed since our original doctor had seen me and he said to my mum I think I know what it is but you need to take him straight to the Royal Children's Hospital don't go home go straight to the hospital and within a few hours of being in the emergency room they actually diagnosed me with a Wilms tumour which is a cancerous tumour uh, it was actually the size of a football in my stomach yeah. uh, it had engulfed my left kidney it was growing up my spleen it wasn't far away from attaching to my heart uh, and I had two litres of fluid on my lungs, and basically they said to my parents that um, you should pretty much prepare for the worst. Um, there's obviously a good, good end to that story because mm. uh, I'm still here, but um, you know, other than operating on uh, the tumour, the only two other things that they could really do to help reduce the tumour and eradicate it was to give me chemotherapy and intense radiation. Um, and so prior to my kidney being removed, uh, I went through a process of having those two treatments. Yeah. Uh, and then during the main operation, when they were lifting out the tumour, uh, the tumour actually um, burst and some of the fluid went back into the cavity of my chest. And so after that, I needed to have chemotherapy and treatment for another 15 months after the tumour was removed. 
Wow. And so being nine years of age and just prior to a, you know, growth spurts, um, I have had some ongoing effects. Uh, technically, my growth is stunted, uh, even though I'm six foot two. Um, could have been a I've, tall guy, I think. <laughs> well, could have been, could have been. Um, my, I've also got uh, a scoliosis, uh, you know, a tightening around the hip area. Um, but one of the things was that um, there was a serious effect to my internal reproductive organs. So it was basically stated to my parents when I was 15, uh, and I was actually in the room when the doctor turned around to my mum and said, it's probably highly unlikely that Andrew's going to be able to naturally father a child and that he would need to have some sort of assisted reproductive treatment um, in order to do so. Yeah. So um, Melissa and I embarked on a journey of uh, initially IUI, which is artificial insemination. Uh, we had two attempts to that in 2018, which unfortunately both of those failed. Uh, and then we embarked on the, the more intensive process of IVF. And uh, our first attempt at IVF, we actually were successful in getting three seven-day-old viable embryos, which we froze. Uh, and due to the hyperstimulation of that process, uh, it was determined that we should probably wait a few months before attempting to put one of those embryos back uh, into Melissa's uterus. Um, that was late 2018. In early 2019, I actually, three days before elective surgery was shut down with COVID, I actually went in and had a full right hip replacement due to arthritis. Uh, and due to the shutdown, we weren't actually able to embark any further on IVF treatment at that time because everything was shut down. Uh, and in July, uh, things opened up and uh, we were actually able, uh, July, Sorry, I got my years wrong, I think. But in July 2020, uh, we actually were able to put back an embryo, our first embryo, and uh, we were successful. And today we have our little miracle boy with us. That's an extraordinary, extraordinary journey. It's, I sort of don't know where to go from there. That's, it's amazing, really. Like, what a miracle and, and what an extraordinary story to be able to tell Nathaniel, as he gets older as well, I think that's that's pretty cool. And and on that on that subject, I suppose now that now that you've got him, you know, in your arms, and you've obviously gone on this extraordinary journey, does it has it changed your perspective on life? Like, do you look at life differently now that you're you're holding your son effectively? Simo, look, you know, I'm 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 just the most I'm just so grateful to God's grace to his miraculous healing power to the prayer of our church you know to my mother's faith um to the people of resound church you know who were back in the dome in 1985 who were praying for me uh you know i'm just so grateful that um you know it's it's been i've known for 30 years that this was going to be a difficult thing uh and finally uh it's a dream come true you know mm. and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm extremely grateful because I know I'm not the only person in this world uh, that is going through this journey. Mm. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's not an easy journey. And it's, you know, financially, emotionally, um, you know, it's tough. And uh, 
and and keeping the faith you know can be difficult at times also but um you know we, we just trusted in god and uh we're just so grateful that he delivered absolutely and we're grateful for the amazing people at uh you know monash medical clinic and so forth ivf who who assisted with it as well yeah it's a long process i just hearing it through start to finish it's quite extraordinary really so I appreciate you being being so open and vulnerable with it. You know, it's there's a lot of people, like you said, that go through it, but it's not often we get to hear the start to finish journey of of that, even though they're all different. It's 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 extraordinary. So yeah, appreciate you sharing it. Um look, we might uh change tact a bit, but I'll throw one back to you, Rhino. Um so as you mentioned, you've obviously got two two pretty rowdy boys and uh and life can be pretty busy at times, you know, you're running your own business as well. Uh, as being a dad so how do you sort of set aside time to to focus on your your boys i guess and and to teach them and build relationship with them yeah um yeah life is is busy um yeah as you said you know we've got we run a small little business which consumes a lot of our time and um got two boys with um a lot of energy that consume our time as well. So we're kind of, um, you know, yeah, we're pretty busy. We're a pretty busy family. So we, we, we actively try and um, set aside time and prioritize time to um, put into the kids. Cause mm-hmm. if you didn't prioritize it, we would just, it would just, it just wouldn't happen. We've got so much stuff that we can always ju- you know, justify doing, um, so we make it a priority to, you know, put the kids first and, and, um, pour into them as much as we can until seven thirty, And then that's the best time of the night. You sit back and you relax. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love my kids, but, um, it's nice uh, to have some peace and quiet when they go to bed. No, but, um, yeah, prioritizing. Enjoy that, Ryan, because right now I think I've got to bed before my kids. It's like, I- Jeez, what's going on? <laughs> no, that's good, man. I think you, yeah, you touched on prioritizing. It's like it's not, it's not something you can just assume is going to happen. Hey, especially, especially like you said, when life is busy. So it's important. Yeah, to, and that's right. And just to do it. Yeah, and like, um, you know, Mikey's got some some health issues and stuff, and and some other um, things going on that, you know, sort of if we don't put into the time it's you can you can see the um demise of it does that make sense not demise it sounds a bit dramatic but if you can tell if you're not putting in enough time because you know he's got a lot of behavioral issues and a lot of hyperactivity and stuff but um yeah it's i, I just think he, yeah you know yeah i never thought about it until after until after i had kids but really it's um it's so much it's it's so much that it's not about you it's all about them and mm. um you know i've i've been a kid i've had i've had my time messing around now it's that you know it's my turn to put into them you know what i mean um so yeah that's awesome man it's it's cool you mentioned about it's about them it's funny as you said it i was thinking back to my own childhood and it's like I just know I can remember so many times when my dad would just focus on me and I'd feel like the only person 
in the world, you know, just, just being able to just spend yeah, time yeah. and hang out and you sort of reflect on that as a dad now. And you say, I want to, I want my kids to be able to experience that. Yeah. That yeah. That's thing. right. It, yeah, yeah. yeah you agree you know <laughs> you, you grow up thinking oh, my parents you know and then you have kids and you realize i had pretty grass parents <laughs> mom and dad thanks sorry and thank you <laughs> <laughs> i like the sorry in there no look that's that's awesome man and another one for you now john as well i think um although sometimes i wish there was there's no manual or, or blueprint for being a dad you know that's we sort of get to make a lot of decisions and mistakes along the way. Um, but I guess, you know, having 22 solid years under your belt, is there anything that you look back on and you go, gee, I'd, I wish I hadn't done that or I'd actually do that differently? I remember being back when I first didn't have kids and got married and you'd look at other parents and you'd go, when I have kids, I am never going to let my kid do that. There's no way my kids are going to do that. And uh, I think you sort of know it all at that stage. And uh, kids teach teach you that actually it's about picking your battles. It's about not necessarily as much as we want them to do everything we want them to do. Uh, it's there, there is no manual and it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And I think as dads, well, as parents, but as a dad, I think we do beat ourselves up sometimes about the mistakes we make. And I think... That's pretty common in a, uh, you know, the um, social media world where we only see positives and other people going out with their kids and whatever. We don't see the hard yards that everyone else does. And we, and we then dwell, if, if you're a bit of a pessimist like I might be, then you might sort of go, well, I, I wish I would be better at my job. So I guess one thing in the manual is don't pick yourself up. Celebrate the little successes. We all do things a little bit differently. Some of us do some things really well in one area and not so well in the other. Mm. It's impossible to be perfect in everything. There is no manual. Um, and uh, don't beat yourself up because actually, I think sometimes we do expect too much of ourselves. Just, I guess I'm just myself. Um, I'm not as good at some dads in some things, I'm better in other things. And uh, yeah, I guess you have to put your own unique slant on it. Um, and uh, for me, that means one thing. And for you, that's, I guess, totally different. Yeah. So I know that's not an answer because uh, I've sort of said, look, I don't have an answer. And in fact, I have less of an answer than I did when I was 21. And uh, the man maybe the manuals sort of come unraveled in, in that 20 years. But uh, yeah, just I guess it's not healthy to beat yourself up because we're all going to make mistakes because I don't know about you. I did this for the first time myself. And um, like, like Ryan was saying, you even forget what your parents did until you've done it yourself. Then you go, oh my goodness, how hard would have that been for my parents? Imagine putting my parents through that and you look from a parent's perspective and uh, you just don't think of that as a kid. You just, mm. you just live. Yeah, spot on. It's, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? And I think you actually did, you said you didn't give an answer. I think you did give a really great one in, in a roundabout way because you know, th there is no one way effectively is, is kind of what you're, what you're saying. It's, it's each person's journey. And it's, it's so refreshing to hear someone say, you know, don't beat yourself up because it's harder than what you thought it was going to be. I think that's certainly a learning that I've experienced at times as well, where, you know, you, I, I think back about both parents 
and you go, gee, they, they did do a really good job because you go, man, I find things challenging. I must have been an absolute pain sometimes. But well, you're but, still um, alive, Simo. Yeah, no. So they must have done a good job. That's right. <laughs> but I thought you were going to say you're still a pain. <laughs> it was the friends you had around you, Simo, that, that really made you who you were, I think. Thanks. You. <laughs> you can claim a little bit of that. Hey, um, just a quick, quick couple more. Um, I'll throw one back to you, Andrew. So wind the clock back, you know, those, let's say to when you're kind of 12 or 13 years of age, you know, you're probably a little, little rat bag. Um, what do you, do you remember any key moments with, with your own dad, um, experiences that you had had with him? Well, Simo, first of all, happy, happy father's day to my father. Um, yeah, my dad. Uh, my dad's my hero. Uh, he's a 36-year veteran of the uh, Metropolitan Fire Brigade, and um, you know he he went to work and put his life on the line every day uh, to save lives and and people's property. And it's it's yeah. people such as him and our first responders, whether they be police or ambulance or on the hospital, people on the front line that uh, mean that you know you and I and our families can sleep safely at night. So. Uh, um, you know, when I was 12 to 15, I, I was still transitioning out of uh, my cancer treatment. Um, you know, in my teenage years, I, I had further complications. I had a couple of other operations, one when I was 12 and 17, uh, due to adhesions of the bowel. Um, and it, it, the story goes on, heart surgery in my 20s. Um, but, you know, my dad was a hardworking man. Um, and my dad was a shift worker. He worked two jobs to provide for us. Um, you know, he, he sacrificed a lot when it came to time with us because he was out there providing for us um, and doing what he needed to do so that we could have everything that we needed. I don't think that we ever went without when we were growing up, even though we were still, you know, so-called middle-class uh, family. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, he's, he's taught me a lot. I, I, I watched my dad a lot. You know, he used to always tell me save for a rainy day and, you know, we're in rainy days as we speak. So, um, you know, we've always put away to provision for, for times such as COVID. Um, and, you know, he taught me things like, you know, nothing's, nothing comes for free. Um, I was, out working at 14 and nine months, flipping burgers at McDonald's uh, and ended up working there for eight years. And, you know, they, there wasn't money to send me to TAFE in the university. I had to find a way to do it myself. Um, but, you know, when I talk about sacrifice uh, with my dad, you know, one of the things I do remember is, you know, when my dad wasn't working for, for Christmas day, he would still come out dressed in his fireman's uniform in case there was a recall because obviously so many firemen would call in sick and uh, it was a great opportunity for him to obviously make a lot more money by working on that day. Um, but it also meant that, you know, if there weren't enough firemen at that station, then that station wouldn't be allowed to operate until they had enough people. So, um, you know, I've always just watched my dad be a hardworking man and 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 sacrifice and 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 do everything he could to uh, to help his family. That's awesome, and it's great that you got that positive perspective of of your dad. And 
and he's obviously been a pretty significant role model in your life, which is, which is really encouraging to hear, you know, obviously some people have that, that role model and, and there's a lot of people who don't, um, don't have that. So it's, it's great that you've been able to pull that much wisdom and, and just encouragement out of that relationship and which is really, really cool. So, um, another, we might just do quick two more and then we'll, we'll wrap it up there, but Rhino one back to you, mate. Um, your, so being a dad, you've obviously got two, two sons of your own now. Does that change how, how you feel that God sees you? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, that was a pretty steep learning curve for me, I reckon. Cause once you, uh, well, for me personally, once I had, you know, my own son, um, even sons, yeah. Um, you realize how much God actually loves you because, you know, you, you know, you look at like my boys, I do anything for them, you know, whatever, you know, um, regardless. And I never had that sort of depth of love um, until I had them. And then you realize, well, gee whiz, you know, God's got that same sort of love for me. And it's like, and it really hit me actually. It was really like, you know, it, it's like a reassuring of, you know, God's got, God's got my back, you know what I mean? And he's like, yeah. yeah. So it really did change my perspective of love and, and the love that God has for us. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And so encouraging to hear. I found the same thing having kids. It's, it's something just changes. You understand love in a different way. Yeah. They make you soft too, I reckon. <laughs> I used to be a hard nut. Now I'm sort of like, yeah. That's very true. And I guess down the same vein, we'll, we'll finish it off with you, John. With with um, three kids, you know, there's, again, with the time factor, life can get pretty busy. Are there, are there specific things that you actively do to, to steer them towards God and help them grow their relationship with God? Yeah, obviously we support them to be involved in a community that can help them grow. Um, in our own life, we try and model that. And uh, as I said, you don't always get it right. You know, you, you try and and uh, and and so on. I guess for me, I was lucky uh, for my two boys in particular. During high school, I, I'm a teacher, and and they came to the same school as I, and I teach at. And so I had a captive audience at 35 minutes on the way in and. 45 minutes on the way home most days and um whilst we didn't have deep deeper meaningfuls every time it was able to just ask questions and sometimes i didn't feel like talking and sometimes they didn't feel like talking but often we did chat mm. and uh so just just having the opportunity to keep an ear open to what's going on um and one thing that i did do uh, every morning we would listen to some sort of drive time devotions or something and uh, that just became a, a common uh, experience for us. We, we would listen to various different uh, people saying 10 minute devotions. And it was a really good thing just to be, to spark conversation mm -hmm. for the day for me, as well as my kids. And, uh, and that was something that we did pretty much for eight years for the most part. And I think that's a really positive thing is to, to model that, that structure and that discipline of trying to spend a bit of, eke out a bit of time in a busy life we're all flat out, probably too flat out, to be honest, in the Western world, um, to eke out a bit of time to sort of prioritize for others, for God, and uh, for our own development. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably 
probably answers the question. Yeah, absolutely does. Again, I, I love the intentional intentional side of it, being intentional to set aside time to teach. I think it's it's awesome and appreciate that that wisdom as well. And and yeah, so so cool. Well, look, guys, I think we've. Uh, I know I've got way more than I expected to be honest. It's just so good to chat to um, to some awesome dads and you know completely different ends of the journey. Um, in a lot of cases, but um, but awesome nonetheless. So look, I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you guys, and to round it out, you know, dad jokes are a rite of passage of of a, of being a father. My dad had some absolute shockers. Um, some I could repeat, some I probably couldn't repeat, but he had some perlers. <laughs> so can you just close us out? We'll go Andrew, John, and Rye. Just give us one dad joke for us, please. All right, I tried a few out on <laughs> Melissa before I uh, I jumped onto the Zoom, but. Um... Did you hear about the circus fire? No. It was intense. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, but I love it. <laughs> now, I, I've got, uh, I, I mean, I like Confucius jokes, joke, <laughs> but my kids will attest to the fact that my favourite joke is, is Confucius say, man who amuses himself never ceases to be amused. So actually, I'm giving you a little hint, guys. Dads don't tell jokes to amuse you. We're actually amusing ourselves. And that's why, have you ever seen a dad laugh at his own jokes? There you go. You know, we're actually not amusing you. We amuse ourselves because that's how we get through some tough times. That was deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, I kick us off. I'll finish this off. Sorry. Yeah, all right. I, I don't have a lot of jokes, but I do know this one. Two guys walk into a bar. The third one ducked. <laughs> oh that's great mate. well all were terrible um and that's the beauty of those jokes i think so look we're gonna wrap it up there guys thank you so much for that chat and i'm sure those listening will, will get plenty out of it too so enjoy the rest of your day and happy father's day coming up hey, everyone i'll say to you too guys Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.